0: The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. How do I want to introduce this this morning? Covenantal communication. I think what, what I'll begin with is... This that as I was thinking about it this week and the ways that we talk and communicate in the midst of conflict, that which is most natural to us is not always the best, the most, most healthy, or the most helpful. That which is most natural is not always the best. And so as we continue in this series on Christian Conflict transformation. We're paying attention to Paul's words here in Colossians and what it means for us as we engage in conflict and communicate with each other in conflict. As I said last week, conflict comes in all shapes and all sizes, and we should all, no matter what Uh, our thoughts are about Jesus or about the Bible or about God, we should all pay attention to how we navigate conflict because it has such an impact on our lives. It it changes relationships on how well or how poorly we engage with conflict. And here again is another example of how the Bible transforms conflict from a win-lose battle into a space of relational and spiritual growth growth paul begins by teaching us that as god's chosen people holy and dearly loved so he's addressing the community this is for their life together he says clothe yourselves clothe yourselves put something different on I find it really interesting that paul does not tell the colossians to you know as god's chosen people holy and dearly loves tweak this or amend this or make this change no he says clothe yourselves it takes for not it takes nothing less than a wholesale change of clothes to be able to communicate in the midst of our differences A little while ago, I was walking downtown Caledon, Ontario, with with my family. Uh, My in-laws recently moved to just outside Caledon, and Caledon's much different than Hamilton is. And so one of the stores that we came across on the downtown strip was an equestrian store. Now, I know nothing about horses other than what they look like. And so we we headed into this store, and uh, it was astounding to me when we started you know looking at looking at things how there is very a very specific and particular outfit clothing choice for people who ride horses i had no idea there are special boots that apparently help you stay firmly planted in the saddle that supports you and that that save your legs from some chafing there's pants that are specifically made to be flexible and breathable that can, you know, move in all the strange directions that horseback riders need them to move. There's helmets that are just like bike helmets, with, with funny things that cover them and make them look different. All of this, all of this stuff is there, is made, is crafted so that a horseback rider can be comfortable on the saddle, can improve their riding, and can enjoy every second of being on that horse. You cannot do this in your sport coat and dress shoes. It takes, riding a horse takes a wholesale change of clothes. And it's the same with our Christian lives. It takes a complete change of clothes to transform conflict, to make this shift from a win-lose battle to a space for relational and spiritual growth. Here, Paul is specifically targeting the ways that we communicate with each other, the ways that we live and act and talk with each other inside the Christian community. So what does this look like? Well, we'll look at three things this morning. So, um, the Christian way of acting is centered around these three things. Putting on Christian virtues, pursuing Christ as a community, and living in the name of Jesus. Putting on Christian virtues, pursuing Christ as a community, and living in the name of Jesus. So first, let's look on putting on Christian virtues. The most simple way of talking about a virtue is that it is a behavior. A virtue is something that we do, which is very different than something that we want to do. That's a value. Very different from something that we know we should be doing but can't quite get there. That's an aspiration. A virtue is something that we do that we ought to be doing. Paul gives us more than one virtue. He gives us a list of Christian virtues for living in community. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bear with one another, forgive one another, put on love. These are for us as individuals, but they, also, they impact our relationships with each other. They are other-focused. When talking about virtues, I'm always struck by the way that uh, the, the Grand Rapids-based uh, philosopher James K.A. Smith talks about this. He, he, he frames virtues as, as a way of—or of, he frames how we are to grow into virtues in this way. He says, Learning virtue, becoming virtuous, is more like practicing scales on the piano than learning music theory. It's more like practicing scales on the piano than learning music theory. Because the goal is for your fingers to learn the scales so that they can play naturally. Learning is not just about information acquisition when we talk about virtues. Learning is, is inscribing an action into the very fiber of your being. So that it becomes natural. I, and this, this quote by Jamie Smith put me back to the days when I was taking music lessons. And I remember um, very, very, very clearly how much I really disliked slow practice. There was one specific Beethoven sonata that I just could not get. And my teacher told me to set the metronome to quarter speed and practice it again and again and again. And that just, slowing down is not something that comes naturally to me. And it was so hard. But the purpose behind this was that when I slowed it down, I was able to inscribe into my fingers the ways that they should move so that when I played it at normal speed, it became natural. And guess what? It worked. It worked which was even more frustrating for me. The list of virtues that Paul puts before us take practice. Sometimes we have to slow it down and practice over and over and over again. What is it that Paul wants us to practice? Well, I'm going to fly through this list. So hold on. The first thing is compassion. Compassion is compound Greek word, which means it's two words fused together. And it means to have a, great, a de- great degree of understanding towards another person. It means to slow down and take the time to not just sympathize with a certain position that a person's holding or, or something that they're doing, but, but to understand the deeper motivation behind it. It's a level below that surface level understanding to get at the innermost desire of a person and to to let that sink into your own being compassion compassion means not just to understand where someone else is coming from but their motivation for it kindness is as one theologian described it the art of being dear the art of being dear Each of us probably knows somebody who leaks kindness, You just, you get in the same room as them and you're like, this person is just overwhelmingly kind to me. And sometimes it can be a little overwhelming. But it's really neat that the Bible talks about God's kindness towards us in how he deals with our sin. This is a, this is a virtue rooted in the very character of God. The, the, the psalmists often talk about how God forgives us of our sin because of his kindness, his goodwill towards us. Kindness is a little like grace. Humility is one we talked about last week. And it shows up here again. Humility is, as a New Testament scholar N.T. Wright defines it, he says it's the Christ-like attitude towards oneself, supremely exemplified In your readiness to let go of your own rights for the sake of others. The Christ like attitude of your own self that allows you to be ready to give up your own rights for the sake of others. Some of us may instantly think of Jesus here in that that passage where Paul describes Jesus Christ as, as humbled so much that he came and came to live among us, right? Gave up his place in heaven so that he could take up a place with us. Humility is a virtue of viewing oneself, right? But then gentleness, which is next on the list, gentleness is the attitude towards other people that flows from humility. This has traditionally been interpreted as meekness, this shows up in jesus beatitudes the gentle person is somebody who is not overly impressed with their own self-importance or lack thereof these two virtues humility and gentleness uh, one pastor scott sauls he sums them up with this saying he says humility and gentleness does not mean thinking less of yourself but thinking of yourself Less. Doesn't mean thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Last on this list is patience. Patience is the opposite of resentment and anger. A patient person gives time for others to come around, is quick to listen, slow to speak, even slower to judge always ready to give the benefit of the doubt after this list of virtues paul quickly begins to apply these virtues to action he says bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone forgive as the lord forgave you the phrase bear with each other is one of particular importance to us in our culture We are very quick to cancel, to judge, to write people off, or even let our attitudes towards other people hit the floor because of a certain position in which they hold. And yet Paul calls us to bear with one another. This is a very high calling for a person. To do this, we are asked to put up with people who we would rather not put up with. To love people, genuinely love people, who we would rather hate. Who it's easier to hate. To be patient towards those we would rather write off. To have compassion on people we'd rather not take the time with. Yes in order to bear with one another we must also learn to forgive one another just as god has forgiven us let's pause there for a second and let me ask you this question if unity in the body of christ was about getting along being of one mind always seeing eye to eye on things would we need to practice these virtues? I wonder if the very reason why Paul is putting this list together is because these are the virtues, and the presence of practicing them is what brings about unity. Why else would Paul instruct the Colossians in these virtues, which are all rooted in the very character of Christ, other than the fact that this is what it takes to be a Christian community together? Nothing less will do. Unity is not the same as harmony. Doesn't this show us that conflict— is actually an opportunity for us to embody Christ to each other. If these virtues are rooted in the very character of Christ, then putting them on, then clothing ourselves in them, then being in places where we have to practice them is actually the place where we will grow more and more to be like Christ. Covenantal communication is all about these Christian virtues Virtues that we have to practice in our relationships. Virtues that we will fail in and forgive each other with often. When faced with difficult people or situations, do you put on compassion or resort to competition? When faced with another view on a matter that you care about, are you humble and patient enough to ask questions? Or quick to assume that you have the corner on the truth? When a decision doesn't go your way, or when a decision does go your way, are you quick to ask the question now, what does it look like for me to bear with those who don't see things my way? What does it look like to bear with one another in the implications of a decision? What is gained by winning an argument? but forsaking the very virtues that we're called to embody and live out. Put on Christ. Put on these virtues, and let's practice them together. We are also called to pursue Christ together as a community. If the list of virtues here is how we live our lives, you know, the virtues that we clothe ourselves in individually, Paul calls us to practice them in a community in a certain way. Almost immediately after we experience conflict, we also experience a rise in blood pressure. How many people have had that before? (laughs) I know I have felt that. One of the reasons for this is because we feel the absence of peace. The moment that conflict arises, we feel the absence of peace. But I wonder... If our temptation is to see the conflict as the reason for that rather than the posture towards conflict or the approach towards conflict what if the anxiety was more tied towards the approach than the actual conflict itself it's imagine for a moment that you wanted burgers for dinner tonight you're having some guests over for a barbecue and the way that you cook burgers is by putting them on the counter letting them thaw Putting them on a bun and eating them raw. And then saying, burgers make us sick. All burgers make us sick. To which the appropriate response is, no, the way you cook burgers makes us sick. What if it's the same with conflict? What if Paul is telling us here to enter into conflict cooked in Jesus? Sorry about that. (laughs) To pursue Christ as a community means that we must allow the work of Christ to saturate our conflict. And here Paul specifically talks about the peace of Christ and the message of Christ. What Paul is instructing us here is not to try to manufacture a peace— which we often feel like we have to do. When we're faced with conflict, let's manufacture something. No, no, no. Paul is telling us to allow an external peace to invade our situation. This is the kind of peace that Paul has learned himself. And it has led him to say in Philippians, right? He talks about being content. That's from the the peace of Christ. He says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Why? Because Paul has let something from outside of his experience invade his situation. Here in Colossians, Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. And I find it cool that the word that Paul uses here for rule is one that we would use to describe a baseball umpire. Many of us know that in baseball, umpires rule the plate. They call the strikes and the balls. The batter doesn't. He, w- he wishes he did. The pitcher doesn't. He wishes he did. No, no, no. No. It's not the batter, it's not the pitcher, it's the umpire. Paul is saying here that the peace of Christ, we should let the peace of Christ be the decisive factor in our lives. And this means two things here in this passage. The peace of Christ first means the peace with which Christ brought with him into the world. Right? When we think about Christmas, we think about peace on earth. There is something that Jesus brought with him from heaven into the world that changed things. The peace that Christ brings. One way of thinking about this is that we can now enter into conflict knowing, as what I said last week, that Christ holds all things together. That he is on the throne. Like what we talked about in our call to worship. And secondly, the second way to talk about peace is the peace that we live out through our actions. There's a peace that invades us and a peace that we let flow from us. Letting the peace of Christ control and rule your heart means that you let this peace that you've received from Christ invade Every fiber of your being. Tim Keller puts it like this. He says, Christian peace is not that you stop facing the facts about life, but that you get something in your life. A living power that enables you to triumph over those facts, lifts you up and over and through them. As we pursue the message of Christ, teaching each other with wisdom, we do this with a peace that invades our hearts that rules our hearts as we worship together all of this is done clothed with this peace that Paul has outlined for us now you may be thinking I understand what you're asking for pastor but this is too much this is this is too high a bar there's no way I can live like this it's too unnatural I'm going to try and I'm going to fail. I'm going to try again and I'm going to fail. And this whole thing is going to go up in flames. But that's when we have to remind ourselves that we don't live this way on our own. We do, as as Paul says in the last verse, whatever we do, whatever we do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Throughout this entire passage, Paul has essentially been saying, and, and if you read the section before, it's even more, cl- it's more clear because he, he contrasts the virtues with the vices. But Paul is saying, if you try to live by yourself, if you try to live like this with your own power, by your own will, you will never change. At best, you will have behavior modification. At best, but even that's going to be shoddy. You will find yourselves engaging in conflict in the same natural ways, and it will result in the same thing. But there is a power. There is a way, there is a spirit that can transform you in Jesus' name. One of the best parenting books that I ever read that radically transformed parenting for me was where the author pointed out that I will never, ever, ever, ever see the transformation I want in my parenting unless I realize that in the exact same ways that I am parenting my children, God is parenting me. So my child is throwing a tantrum for the thousandth time. How am I going to have the patience to respond appropriately to that tantrum? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. This parenting author said that it is in these moments that we first must not just take a breath, though that is helpful, not just, you know, head in to the conflict, though that is the right approach. The first thing we have to do is experience the character of Jesus in ourselves. And what he meant by that was this. When a a child is tantruming, ask yourself, how does Jesus treat me in the tantrums of my life? What is the character that Christ has entered into my life with? How has he treated me? In the same way, our communication, our posture in conflict will be transformed if we experience how God treats us in conflict. The Bible tells us that each one of us has conflicted with God. All sin is rebellion. All sin is conflict. Conflict that we started. How does God enter in? How does God treat you does he try to get in even does he make it a win-lose no way see when we start to think about this we realize that Christ is compassionate towards us kind towards us embraces humility is gentle and patient he bears with us he forgives us he loves us how do we know because we look to the cross Jesus saw how utterly hopeless you were in your sin and how stuck we are in our broken and natural and unhelpful patterns. And so he entered into the world. He humbled himself, filled himself with compassion towards us, was patient with us even when we turned our backs on us. Christ loved us so much that when he lost his relationship with his father on the cross, when he was dying, humiliated, he stayed. He stayed because He loves you. And He wants you. He wants a relationship with you so bad that He endured the cross. When that sinks into the very fiber of our being, it will transform how you treat others. Covenantal communication is rooted in the covenantal God who refuses, who refuses to let you go. He doesn't put up with falsehood. He always calls us to change. But he's always filled with grace towards us. He's always going towards us. Congregation, when we do everything in the name of Jesus, it means that we live in a way that demonstrates our own deep love and gratitude for Christ himself. It's a way that the life of Christ flows from you. So living out of this posture, this will transform your character. Sure, we will have to do a lot of forgiving, and that's okay. This will transform how you talk to other people that you don't like. This will transform how you communicate with anyone in the midst of conflict. Clothe yourselves in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for not treating us as our sins deserved, but showing us mercy, modeling for us, covenantal communication. As we struggle along in this as broken human beings desperately in need of your transforming spirit, pray that you give it to us. Help us navigate difficult and complex issues together as the body of Christ, bearing with each other, forgiving one another, pursuing truth in love. Thank you for Jesus, for the gift of his grace. Amen.